If you were here last week, you heard a faithful sermon from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This morning, as we continue our series through the letter of Galatians, we find ourselves in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Uh, just in the event you've sort of giving us, uh, you have given us a two-week sampling of, um, of your attendance. I just want you to know it is not our normal practice to jump around, uh, go ahead just for fun's sake, and then come back and uh, preach a text that should have been preached a week ago. But a late sickness last week uh, pulled me into the bench and pulled Kevin into the game. So uh, by God's grace, uh, I'm better. I trust God's providence that last week Covenant Life Church heard the sermon that she needed to hear. And I trust that this week we will do the same. But in order to understand where we are in Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26, I want to go back to where we were two weeks ago. Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, in the first part of Galatians 5, Paul uh, he pleaded with these Galatian Christians, and really around two things, remain in the faith and serve in love. Remain in the faith and serve in love. The good news of Christianity, we reminded ourselves then, is not merely a set of rules. The good news of Christianity is that we have been given freedom. And that's what Paul has been laboring to write. We've been given a freedom, if you are a Christian, from the wrath of God. We have been given freedom from the law's demands. We've been given freedom from the power of sin, and we've been given freedom from a self-focused living. And that's what Paul has laid out thus far in Galatians chapter 5. And while all of this is true, right, like I think we can all believe, yes, I have been given those freedoms, and yet our experience of these freedoms are oftentimes difficult. We feel, man, I've been given freedom in so many ways, and yet I don't feel free. It's a struggle to walk faithfully in this life. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to remind you that Jesus said it would be a struggle to walk faithfully as a Christian in this life that really there are ditches that we need to avoid. Uh, one of the ditches that we need to avoid is veering off by seeking to earn God's favor or approval or His love or His acceptance by what we can do. And Paul's been laboring in the letter of Galatians to remind these Christians, avoid that ditch. That ditch is deadly. To think that somehow you can earn or keep God's love for you based on the works that you do. But there's another ditch that Paul writes that says we should avoid, and that's the ditch that thinks this way. Well, there's no condemnation in Christ. I am in Christ. Then it doesn't matter what I do. And Paul labors to say, no, avoid the ditch of thinking you can earn God's love by what you do, and avoid the ditch of thinking that it doesn't matter what you do because you have God's love. 
And so the question that really is consuming Paul in our passage today is how do Christians avoid the deadly ditches and stay safely on this road that will get us to glory? And his answer, it's in our passage, and it's this. Live by the Spirit. How do we avoid the ditch of trying to earn God's favor? Live by the Spirit. How do we avoid the ditch of thinking that I can do whatever I want because I'm covered by His grace? Live by the Spirit. That short phrase, I believe, stands as one of the greatest needs for every Christian. That short phrase, live by the Spirit, I I believe is the greatest need of our church today. Said another way, because of the Holy Spirit, every Christian ought to be different from the world and every Christian ought to be different from who they were before Christ. And so this morning, before we walk through Galatians chapter 5, I'd like to pray that God would graciously meet us as we gather around his word, seeking to put ourselves underneath it so that we can then be changed by truth. Let's pray. Our holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we come before you and we just, we make it our hearts cry this morning. We want more of you. We want to be more like you. We want to do that which pleases you. And we know that's what we should think and say and feel and do. And yet we find that our desires are all over the place. We find that our wills are wanting. We find that our patience is thin. We're not long-suffering when the road gets hard. And so I pray that you would teach us this morning what it means to live by the Spirit. Use your word to do so. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you, invite you to open them to Galatians chapter 5. It will serve you to follow along, to see where it is that we get the content of our sermons. I'll be preaching out the New American Standard Version. So that's one of the translations that are in the pew back in front of you. This morning, we're going to consider our passage in four sections. I believe each of these sections helping us better understand of what it looks like to have a life that is possessed, dominated, mastered, owned by the Holy Spirit. And so this first section we'll call Know the War Within. Know the War Within. We see this in verses 16 through 18. Listen again to the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you were to go back up just one verse to where we were two weeks ago, and look at how verse 15 ends. There's this warning that Paul gives. 
that if you give yourself to living a life that's full of selfish ambition, you will constantly be at war with one another. Most people, regardless of their religious beliefs, would affirm this statement. But it's uniquely and particularly challenging to Christians because there is a war that is being waged inside every Christian And this war will rage on until we pass from this life. Verse 17 really does set the stage for these two opposing realities. I mean, he says it at the beginning in verse 16, the command, walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, then you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so you begin to see these two realities that are beginning to to form. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are in opposition to one another. And so what we have is a war that's raging within every Christian. And this war has, has on one side of the war, you have the flesh. We've talked about this throughout the, the letter of Galatians. When Paul writes about the flesh, he's not talking about you have skin or you have physical body. He's talking about the the default mode of all humanity, that since the sin of Adam and Eve and, and there has been passed down to every human a nature that is corrupt, that doesn't desire to do the things of God, that doesn't desire to keep God on the throne, the place of prominence, but really the flesh wants self to be there. And so it's the default mode of humanity, that fallen human sin nature. Every one of us were conceived and born into this. And it seeks to put self at the center of everything. It's, this, it, it's that internal will that does not submit to God. It's that internal will that insists that we are our own Lord and Savior. And here's the thing about the flesh. The flesh may acknowledge God, but it doesn't adore God. The flesh may may love the blessings of God, but the flesh does not love God. And so Paul says there's a war that's raging within every Christian. And on the one side, it's this old nature this, man, I really want to do things my way. I want to call the shots. I want to determine the boundaries for what is good and what is permissible. I want to make the calls because at the end of the day, I think I know best. And yet on the other side of this war, Paul says there's the spirit. The spirit The Spirit is the Holy Spirit, the third person of our Trinitarian God. There's one God, one essence, one substance of God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul says that for every every person who has turned from their sin, genuinely seen their sin, hated their sin, detest their sin, and 
and in an act of faith, turned from sin to place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his death on the cross as a substitute for sinners, his resurrection on the third day. Paul says that everyone who has turned from sin and who has believed in this truth about who Christ is, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit himself. The same Spirit that had the power to raise Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that indwells, that fills every Christian. The Holy Spirit is vital for becoming a Christian. The Spirit is the one that lets us see our sin, that brings conviction, that takes dead hearts and makes them alive, leads us to repent and believe. That is all the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is vital. He is vital in becoming a Christian. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is vital in staying a Christian, in growing as a Christian, in remaining a Christian. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. He gives us desires that long to worship God and to know God and to love God and to obey God. I'm helped in John chapter 16. As Jesus is talking about the Spirit, and he makes the statement in verses 13 through 15, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And look at verse 14. You want to know, like, what is the Holy Spirit's greatest preoccupation? It's verse 14. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit has come so that Christ would be magnified, that Christ would be glorified. And that purpose continues as believers are growing in their love of God, in their love for Christ, in their knowledge of God, in their knowledge of Christ. The Holy Spirit desires to glorify Jesus by revealing who he is. And so now we begin to understand so much about why the flesh hates the spirit and the spirit hates the flesh. If I could just make a few implications at this point, I, I trust will serve us this morning. Being led by the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as having warm fuzzies. Being led by the Holy Spirit is more than simply following your heart. I mean, if you were to go back and read the Old Testament prophets, they actually warn against that. While the Spirit may give internal confirmation to His Word, if your aim is to follow the Spirit as best as you can, to be filled with more of the Spirit, the best that, that you can, you don't go searching merely within. I was helped as I was studying this week. John Piper made a connection with this filling of the Spirit and what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. I would just encourage you this week, if you want to see maybe how this connection is made. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he says, the desires of the Spirit of God. This is where Paul says, who knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God? 
Who knows the desires of God except the Spirit of God? And then Paul says, and God has mediated his thoughts and his desires through his word. And so do you know what the Spirit is doing? The Spirit is taking that word, and as you and I submit to it, the Spirit is breathing life into that word. And so I just, implication, you desire to be Spirit-filled, then you will be word-saturated. The Spirit using the Word of God, giving us clarity on what the Spirit desires. And so Covenant Life Church, let's be students of His Word. It's the primary means by which we will walk closely by the Spirit. But I think another implication is that being a Christian does not mean that the desires of the flesh go away. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're just loaded down with guilt because you think, I've been a Christian for a while and yet I'm still wrestling with sin. I just want you to know, Paul would understand that to be normative. That's the normal Christian life. To be in relationship with Christ is to be in conflict with sin. Now, if your life is marked generally by an absence of conflict with sin, it's not because sin hasn't found you. Sadly, it's because sin has probably found a home with you. I know the feeling, and I, I have counseled many people who feel this internal tug of war and think that somehow that's a bad sign. Clearly, if we are giving into sin, that is, that is pause and that is reason for concern. But faithful fighting? Brother and sister in Christ, if you are faithfully seeking to put away sin inviting the accountability of others, putting yourself under the word of God, seeking to walk in repentance and faith, just because the fight is intense does not mean that that's a bad sign. In fact, I think God's word would say that's a good sign. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. And so Christian, I just want to challenge you and remind you this morning, don't make peace with your sin. But if you're warring against your sin, that is a good evidence that you are in Christ, that you have the Spirit dwelling within you. If your enjoyment of sin is tainted because you want to rid yourself of it, and yet you also find that your enjoyment of godly things is tainted because at times you want to go in the other direction, brother and sister, continue to fight. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. The Spirit is more powerful than any temptation and sin that you will face today. Do you believe that? Lean into this. I'm so helped by this letter. All right, we can think Galatians is this mountaintop of doctrine. It's like, and yet he turns in, in Galatians chapter 5 and he just gets gritty. And he says, this is, what, this is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Richard Sibbs would speak. He's a, a, a Puritan 
faithful pastor. He would oftentimes speak of how the gospel is good news. And the gospel is, is good news for the Christian because Christ has made our enemies his enemies. And how Christ has made our battles his battles. And the means outside of the cross by which he fights for us is through the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps you're here and you're, you've heard me reference Christians several times thus far. If you're not a Christian this morning or you're unsure where you're at with the Lord, I would just encourage you to consider what would it mean for you to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus, to turn away from the sin that is leading you to destruction. It, it may be promising you joy in life, but it's leading you to destruction. What would it look like to turn away from that and to turn to Christ, to trust in the work of Christ? I can remember one of the things as a 17-year-old that I used to struggle with is just going, I get it, it sounds good, but man, my heart is so ugly. Like, there are so many things that I've done. Like, I would be embarrassed if the screen began to just scroll through past sins and thoughts and actions and deeds. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't allow the ugliness of your heart to keep you from the one who can make it clean. You don't have to climb back to some better version of you for Jesus to have you. You don't have to have your house clean before you invite him in. You have to understand your need. And you have to trust and believe that his work is the only solution to your need. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, and it may seem like, man... In order to belong to Jesus, I, there's a ton I've got to do. I just want to remind you, everything that Jesus requires of you, he supplies for you. I mean, we sang this morning about Jesus being strong and kind. I pray that you would know that. The strength of a Savior who's more powerful than your sin and the kindness of a Savior that would move towards you when you were least deserving. And he's done that in his sinless life. His death on the cross for sinners who were deserving of the wrath of God and his resurrection on the third day. What you feel like this morning you can't resist in terms of your sin, he can't not overcome. I use so many double negatives. What you feel like you can't resist in terms of your sin, he can't not overcome. He is more powerful and gracious and mighty to save than you have sin in you. It's who he is, and it's what he's promised to do. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, I would plead with you, trust in the work of Jesus. Come to the end of your efforts and find a Savior who is strong and kind. That's the battle. That's the war 
that rages within. Leads us to our second section. Beware of the deeds of the flesh. Beware of the deeds of the flesh. We see this in verses 19 through 21. Listen again to the word of the Lord. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I warned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so Paul has helped us to understand the war within. And here's the reality, is that every action that you commit, every thought that you think, it is all flowing from this war. I mean, every sin that you commit is a symptom of this war that's going on within you, the flesh and the spirit. And so the war will always yield results in our actions and in our attitudes. Roots always yield fruits. And so again, the flesh is our sinful nature wanting what it wants, when it wants it, and it oftentimes takes no prisoners in order to get it. And Paul says, do you want to know what it looks like to have a life that's marked by the flesh? And just to be clear, if you look down at the end of this list in verse 21, he has this phrase that says, in things like these. This is not intended to be a comprehensive list. And so if you're struggling and you, you would just say, man, my life is marked by sinful blank. Don't take, don't take refuge because that sinful blank didn't get in the list. The, the point of the list is not to say, hey, let's dissect each of the trees. The point of the list is to say, let's step back and let's not miss the forest. There's no particular ordering to this list. Though there seems to be four categories that we, that we can uh, find within the list, Paul writes to help us understand the complete overthrow and the ownership of our lives that the flesh is after. Uh, this is what Paul is trying to get across as you read this list. Once you turn the flesh loose, then it will just like a lion feast, and it will keep feasting. And it will keep feasting. It has an appetite that can't be satisfied. The flesh will take you places you don't want to go. Cause you, it will take you further than you wanted to go. And it will cause you to stay longer than you intended to stay. It's meant to do you spiritual harm. The first three words center on sexuality. Sexual practices that were condemned by God, immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And in Paul's day, there was this thought that uh, any type of sexual activity was not good sexual activity. And Paul's pointing to the reality that when the only thing that, matter, that matters is whether you can get what you want, then people will get hurt. And there's something in our flesh that doesn't stand. We can't stand the notion that there's certain boundaries with sex that are not acceptable. The flesh doesn't ask, is this good? The flesh doesn't ask, who's going to get hurt? The flesh feasts on what it wants. 
so not only do you have this category of sexuality, the next category, the next two words focus on idolatry or pagan religion. He uses the word idolatry and sorcery. This is where I lean into all Harry Potter fans. Just kidding. (laughs) But here's the idea. The idea is that when you give yourself to self-gratification, when you give yourself to saying, I am the center of the world and everything revolves around me, then when you apply that to religion, you will end up in the field of idolatry. You have pagan gods that are attached to powers that you need. And so what do you do? You do whatever they require so that you get what you need. Sorcery here is is a way of trying to manipulate things in order to, to win. Manipulating things so that the good is on your side. It's always towards your agenda. It's never relational. It's merely transactional. Other things in this world have what you need, and so you give them what they want. Idolatry always puts self at the center. The next category is the longest, and it includes, or it describes the effect on relationships. The effect of a relationship, whenever you are a hungry lion seeking to to go into the relationship, having your flesh rage and your appetites rage. Well, that sounds really good as long as every relationship you're in, the other person's not likewise a hungry lion. But whenever you put two hungry lions that are self, self-serving and selfish, and you put them in a field, there's warring. Enmity, strife, jealousy, when the other lion gets the gazelle that you wanted. You can see the overlap, and I I think all of these words are just meant to wash over us and pound us over and over again. This is what happens in relationships when you put yourself at the center. There's factions, there's divisions, there's strife. Outburst of anger. I'm not getting what I want. There's envy. I'm just mindful of Paul's admonition for us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And sometimes it's hard to muster up enough empathy in order to weep with those who weep, but I think envy has so gripped the hearts of some that they can't rejoice with those who rejoice. The last category is about substance abuse drunkenness and carousing. Your translations may say orgy, not like sexual orgy, but crazy parties, drink-induced wild parties where there's no holds barred. You turn to these substance for this high, this, this feeling that they give you, and they end up ruling you. Like you think you're in charge when you turn to substances, and maybe you are for a little while, but suddenly the substance masters you. And in desiring to control things, you end up controlling nothing. You've moved beyond God's good gift, and now you're taken over by desire. The flesh wants what it wants at all cost. And I think what Paul's doing in, this ver- in these verses, in this list, is just showing us the tornado 
of desire moving through hearts and relationships and just leaving a vast wasteland behind it. That's the objective of the flesh. It's to wreck every part of your life and to wreck every other life that it touches. This is what it looks like when you being you does everything necessary to get what you want. And the warning in verse 21 is haunting. Not those people who struggle with this and then repent, but those people who consistently live this way. Again, he's writing to Christians. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, wait a minute. Is Paul saying that these Galatians can lose their salvation? What Paul says here is not in contradiction with anything else that he's written. We just encourage you to go back and read Romans chapter 8, verse 30. There is a, there is a secure chain link of what God has done and every person that he has justified, he will glorify. John 10 makes clear no one is stealing any sheep from the hand of the good shepherd. And so Paul's not saying, Galatians, be careful because you can lose your salvation. But, this, but the doctrine of eternal security can't cut the teeth out of the warning that Paul gives in Galatians chapter 5. Like, the last thing I want is for the preaching ministry of Covenant Life Church to give false assurance to worldly Christians. Saying a prayer at 16, all the while, living like verses 19 through 21 until you're 66 or 26 or 36, that isn't grounds for assurance. Your life ought to look like there is a war within and that you are being one degree of glory to another, mastered by the Spirit. That's the Christian life. And so if your life is full of this list and void of the fruit of the Spirit, allow that, even if you're a member of a church that's trying to have healthy membership. Allow that to serve your soul, to just go, am I in the Lord? Your life will be characterized by either verses 19 through 21 or what we'll see in the next section, the fruit of the Spirit. And there's nothing, I, I, I love Paul, walk by the Spirit. There's nothing spectacular in walking. I think the metaphor is intentionally chosen. It is mundane, it is normal, it is routine, and some of you may be struggling and you say, man, today it's just, it's a little bit of a shuffle. Shuffle to the glory of God. Just walk. Walking is the top speed. No one sprints in sanctification. Starting out strong and fizzling out is a, that's a, that's a point of concern. 
And so the question isn't how much in love with Jesus were you 10 years ago? The question is how deep is your love for him today? It brings us to category three. This idea, uh, or what we would call cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Listen again, the word of the Lord, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so against this picture of this tornado of desire, Paul gives us a picture of the Holy Spirit and his fruit. What life does the Holy Spirit produce? What effect does the Spirit have in a person to the world around that person? And again, the list we get here, I, I, I don't believe is meant to be comprehensive. I think it's meant to give you an impression of the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's interesting, there are many deeds, plural, of the flesh, and one fruit of the Spirit, singular. And so if you're a Christian, this means that the seed of this fruit, and when it grows, we don't merely take delight because, man, we have gentleness. But we're not loving, we're not patient, we're not peaceable, we're not self-controlled, we're not good, we're not faithful. No, this is meant to be a comprehensive and, and it's interesting, the imagery is that of agricultural metaphors. And I think the agricultural metaphor of the fruit of the Spirit is meant to highlight both the gradual, right? You plant, it grows gradually. I think we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. One degree of glory to another. The inevitable, you plant and you water and sun and it something grows. It's inevitable. And you say, unless there's soil or whatever. But it's inevitable. And I think that hits Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And so let these wash over you. And Paul begins with love. And I don't think this is an accident. Everything is going to flow from love. Love is what it looks like to be free to give and to give because you're secure in his love for you. Love is the opposite of the self-gratifying nature of the flesh. Love looks to serve and meet the needs of others. And from love overflows joy. The opposite of discontented hunger, of needing more and more and more, is the ability to rest in what God has given and to be happy in it, to have a gratitude in it, for your life to be marked by joy. Joy that is stable. And then Paul says peace. The opposite of all of the divisions and the factions and the envying and the, str the strife, the fits of anger. The fleshly man is not a man of peace. The spirit produces peace, peace with God. He produces peace with others. And then you get to patience the opposite of self-gratifying lusts. Like no need to turn to sorcery, to try to manipulate things. You can wait on God to provide. 
kindness and goodness, moving towards others, not seeking to exploit others, but to help them where you can. Faithfulness over against the rash, unpredictable, opportunistic impulses, this steady consistency that's marked by all of these virtues. Gentleness, rather than being impressed with yourself and harsh with others, gentleness takes what comes from others and doesn't seek to smash them down, but genuinely cares for them, seeks to live with others with understanding and peace. Self-control. No greater contrast, I believe, between the, this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit and that list of the deeds of the flesh. The inability to control desires is what marks the deeds of the flesh. But being harnessed by the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit so that you are self-controlled, where there are times where you want to do things and you say no because of the grace that is strengthening you. It's helpful to know what the Spirit is after in bringing us to this conformity, right? If you think about the fruit of the Spirit, you could just think about the life of Jesus. And you say, this is who the Spirit is seeking to conform us into, into His image. I mean, just think of the life of Christ. The character of Jesus is meant to be worked into His people, Love. Jesus had love at every turn in his life. He had joy even on the night of his betrayal. He had peace while he was facing his own crucifixion. He had patience with his disciples who very rarely got to where he wanted them. He had kindness to people who would interrupt him to meet their needs and their wants. And goodness touched everything that he did. He was faithful to the will of his father and even to the needs of his friends who would reject and sell him out and abandon him. Gentleness. Will there ever be a model of gentleness like the suffering servant? Nowhere close. Self-control. As he was tempted in every way as we are, and at every step never gave in. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to magnify him, and I want to work that character into all of his sons and daughters. The restlessness of the flesh versus the rest that's found in the spirit. These are the two realities that are waging war in every Christian right now. Which way do you want your life to go? Just remember the invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. You're weary. You're heavy laden. You're burdened. Come to me and find rest. And that brings us to our last section. Last category. Number four. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. We see this in verses 24 and 20, through 26. Again, the word of the Lord Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we walk by the Spirit, let us also... 
If we, oh, excuse me, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. I just want you to know, if you listen to the list of the fruit of the Spirit and you think, man, I'm deficient, the worst impulse is to say, okay, Justin, just be more patient. Ah, I'm not kind enough. Be more kind. Doubling down on your effort is not the solution for growing in the Spirit. I'm so helped by John Bunyan, the guy who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote this way, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. What you need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit is not more of you. It's to yield more fully to the Spirit that dwells within you. And so, Christian, this is why you need the gospel today just as much as you needed it on the first day when you became a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world for how you live until he calls you home and whether or not you get there faithfully. Paul ends this section with a reminder of the crucified flesh and an admonition to walk by the Spirit. He says it in verses 24 and in verse 26. Crucified. Remember, those that are in Christ have crucified the flesh. The flesh has died. When you belong to Christ, Paul says you have crucified the flesh. This isn't a, I did it one time. This is an ongoing action. I am continuing to crucify the flesh. The flesh is not who you are anymore. You side with the Spirit in the battle that rages on. We've been crucified with Christ, and Christ's death has accomplished for us what you and I couldn't accomplish. Crucifying the flesh is this ongoing battle. I'm helped to think about it like this, and I didn't know this until I studied it this week. D-Day, World War II. D-Day, World War II, the Allies invade France. And at that point, everyone knew that Germany couldn't win the battle. And so in many ways, people look at D-Day and they say, D-Day is the day that the battle was won. Yes and no. Because the battle went on until what was known as VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. And so D-Day made clear the battle is going to turn out this way, but there's still fighting that must be done until it's complete. And in the same way, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given victory over the flesh. You don't have to give in to sin anymore because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean that life is going to be easy or somehow you can coast No, there's still a war to be waged. And we are called to be faithful. And yet everything that he requires of us, he has graciously provided for us. That's good news, church. Many more battles must be won every day. And so what's feeding envy within you? What's feeding the factions and the divisions? What's feeding the immorality and the strife? Do the heart work of understand what's going on within us. 
And whatever it is, just starve it. Starve it because your soul is more satisfied on who the Spirit is and what He's given you. The Spirit is still in you waging war. So wearied Christian, discouraged Christian, get up and continue to fight faithfully. You are not fighting a losing battle if you are in Christ. But he also says in verse 25, walk by the Spirit. The best way to not gratify the flesh is to walk by the Spirit. The text the text says, if you want to walk by the Spirit, then you're not going to gratify the flesh. Christians, you already live by the Spirit. And because we do, let us then walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. This is a daily thing. And I think we've attached a lot of questions and mysticism around the word Spirit but this is just, this is work, the works of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, doesn't have to look like the miraculous that happened throughout the book of Acts. It's embracing the work that, that He's called us to do. It's putting ourselves into the places where He's at work. And so don't think of this less as like, okay, the Spirit is the pace car of this race of life, and, and I'm, just, I'm supposed to be kind of keeping my eyes on the Spirit, and I just sort of follow the Spirit wherever He goes. No, think more. Where does the caboose go? The caboose goes wherever the locomotive is going because it's attached. Like, so attach yourself to the things of the Spirit. And I, and I believe that this is happening even right now as the Word is going forth. God uses His Word to bring out the fruit of His Spirit with the people of God. And so church, let's walk by faith. Let's be saturated more and more with the beauty of Christ, the worth of Christ, the treasure of Christ, Let's love what the Spirit loves. Let's treasure what the Spirit treasures. Let's be filled up with Him. Because the reality is that everything that we do and everything that we are is impacted by the Holy Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, let's live by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And to help us, God is graciously given his church the Lord's Supper.